What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm going to be your host for this episode as well as the advertisement space. So if you guys will just bear with me for a few minutes, I'm going to talk about the sponsors that make this podcast possible. And I'm also currently stirring in some keto creamer into my Black Rifle Coffee. Now, keto creamer is not the podcast sponsor, but Black Rifle Coffee is. And I've got a little bit of this silencer smooth here, and this is how I'm starting my day. I, everyone here at the company drinks Black Rifle Coffee. We're very closely connected to that company. They're located over in uh, Salt Lake City. We stopped over there a bunch of times. Actually, the last time that I was there was for the after party for Blade Show. Always had a great time over there. Super friendly folks, great coffee, uh, veteran owned organization, as well as a major employer of veterans. And, you know, all of our events that we have are basically fueled by Black Rifle Coffee. So if you come to uh, our booth at Overland Expo, if you come to uh, SIG Freedom Days, if you uh, come to coffee and uh, coffee and go rigs or go rigs and coffee, yeah, you could tell I definitely need my coffee. I'm screwing up words. Uh, you're going to get a chance to have Black Rebel coffee. In fact, the day that I'm recording these ads and the podcast is the day that we have Responsible Citizen here at Fieldcraft Survival in Heber City, Utah. And of course, we're going to have Black Rifle Coffee for everyone that comes in later on. Guys, if you go to blackriflecoffee.com and you use our coupon code CRAFT15, that's C-R-A-F-T-1-5, CRAFT15, you'll get 15% off of your order. Now, that does not include certain things like ready-to-drink cans, uh, but you can get different types of coffee. You can get t-shirts, all sorts of stuff like that. Just kind of mess around, play around with the coupon code and see what gets discounted when you add items to your cart. The other sponsor that we have for this podcast is Sig Sauer. Sig is an awesome company. I've owned multiple Sig firearms over the years. I've trained at the Sig Sauer Academy. I don't know how many times, I think it's 20 times. I always lose track of that specific number. I've been there a bunch of times too for different events. I'm good friends with a lot of the instructors. And I'll say that those instructors up there, they're not your typical like gun instructors uh, that have like super egos, right? We've met a lot of those guys and uh, you know, it's usually their way or the highway. Well, SIG guys, the SIG instructors that I've trained under, I will tell you that they will show you multiple ways and you have to find the way that works for you. There is no such thing as the only way. Um, so please check out SIG Sour. Um, right now, I am just deeply in love with my SIG tread pistol that I've been kind of modifying and upgrading. I just did some chronograph testing on it and I'm very, very happy with the way that it's it's performing with 62 grain 556 rounds from Hornady. So very, very impressed with SIG. Um, I'm currently looking for a DASA pistol just to add to the stable of firearms that I have for when I need to teach someone or show a friend who has a DASA gun. Because uh, most of the stuff that I use now is all striker fired. But guys, uh, their classic line survives hundreds of thousands of rounds. I mean, you can rebuild those pistols over and over and over and over again. So uh, you can't go wrong with Six Hour, right? I mean, they're in the hands of the armed forces, law enforcement, you name it. And uh, they can't go wrong with carrying those firearms. Guys, um, the other thing I'll tell you about SIG, it's not like you're just getting SIG pistols uh, from them. You can get rifles, you can uh, get their precision rifles, their optics, their binos, their ammo. They have a whole, whole 
inventory of gear that you're going to appreciate if you're a hunter, if you're interested in self-defense, casual shooting, and so forth. So please check them out, sigsour.com. Please check out the Sig Sour Academy. That's sigsouracademy.com. Take a bunch of courses. You will definitely appreciate them. All right, guys, here we go. We're going to get down to this podcast, and I'm going to crush this coffee. Let's go. All right, guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast, and get ready for a good one. The guest I have on today is someone who I just happen to bump into by chance. And you got to understand this, like normally the guests that I have on the show are people that I've known for a long time or people who are in the firearms industry, survival industry, overlanding, whatever it may be that get introduced to me here at Fieldcraft Survival in Utah uh, by mutual friends. Well, this guest uh, and I do share a mutual friend, but we didn't know that until we started talking. Um, that's actually how uh, we met. Uh, and it was actually back at Gunsight Academy on October 1st uh, at the Gunsight alumni shoot. So this event is open to Gunsight graduates. And after uh, taking the 250 pistol course in 2020 and the 270 rifle course in 2021, I wanted to see what this alumni shoot was all about. So there were a lot of multiple stages and the event was attended by well over like 250 something former students and those students were broken down into squads right so now i'm standing in my squad and i'm looking around at all the different name tags that just happened to be on the backs of everyone's hats and i noticed a name that rang a bell which i wasn't expecting because i didn't really make a lot of friends at gunsight like i knew people by first name but not last name so i i saw a name i'm like oh that looks familiar and the name on that name tag on the back of the hat was katie pavlich and if this name sounds familiar to you as well, it's probably because you watch Fox News. Now, you might even recognize her name from a cameo in the terminal list, which was on Amazon by our friend Jack Carr. And you, you may say, hmm, yeah, I recognize her. Well, you're going to get to know her a little bit better, as I am too. And we're going to find out uh, how she rose to the status where she is now, the job that she has and all that great stuff. Uh, and as well as finding out how she became a uh, gunslinger and attended gun sites. So guys, uh, I want to take this moment to introduce you to Miss Katie Pavlich. Katie, how are you this morning? Great. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah. Big fan of Fieldcraft. So I got to make it out to, to Utah and see you guys in person sometime. But oh, when I saw you at Gunsight and you said hello, I was very excited when I got your card. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the, the funny thing is, like, obviously you were there with family and I'm there just to, to shoot. Like, I'm not trying to, you know, be this, you know, social bunny or whatever, any, anything like that. <laughs> um, but I, I just had to say hello because, again, uh, I think someone in your group had the Jack Carr hat on. And, you know, Jack Carr and I, we see each other because he's out here in Park City. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously I, I knew that you guys were were friends and I was like, I just got to say hello, but I didn't want to sound like a total creep. Like, you know, just some, <laughs> some random guy that comes up to you at a, at a shooting event, like, Oh, Hey, how are you? You know, it's like, so yeah. how, how do you do that without being a total, total dirtbag? But, uh, I'm glad well, that we, first of we all, know. you know, gunsight's the family. So everybody at the gunsight alumni shoot, you know, it's safe, right? I mean, the gunsight family, if you went to gunsight, you're kind of on the, the right side anyway. So that that is safe, true. Safe if you go to gunsight. 
that is true. And you know, like I don't mind talking about gunsight because it's part of my lineage essentially as like a as a student, um, someone who's interested in firearms. But you're right, like it's definitely a, a fun family environment. That barbecue, it seems like everyone mm-hmm. knows everyone. I mean, I'm 42 years old and I felt like I was the young in there. I mean, because there's a, a lot of yeah. older folks there, but they're crack shots and and they're just solid individuals. So uh you're you're spot on with that one. Um now, who did you end up going to, to gunsight with? Because you got you showed up with like a like an entourage, and all of you guys were having <laughs> having a blast. I'm, well, I, I have an entourage now, I guess, uh, and it's my family. So <laughs> yeah. you know, I have one, but it, it's my brother and my sister in law. And I actually went to gunsight for the first time almost ten years ago in 2013. Uh, my dad had a friend named or still has a friend named Ed Stock who was an instructor there mm-hmm. and I was working in media and there was a lot of stuff going on with gun rights and the second amendment at the time and he suggested that I go to gunsight and do some reporting and just to do some training on you know the way that people can defend themselves so that we can give a better view of what that's really like for people and so I went to Gunsight for a week. I stayed with Buzz and Sonia. Buzz Mills owns Gunsight. He bought it uh, years ago and saved it. And I took the 250 course and I took a three-day three, three carbine course and learned that I should have done a lot more push-ups and, <laughs> and bicep curls. So, so sore after the second day of the carbine course, just lifting up the AR, you know, over and over again. And um, so that was my introduction really was for work. And then it just like, like I was saying, became a, a family thing. I mean, Buzz and Sonia are practically family to us now. Um, and then I introduced it to, you know, my brother and uh, his, his wife did their, her first pistol course uh, this year, I believe. So she could shoot the alumni match with us. And then my husband also did the 250 and 350 course. So it really is a family affair, um, but it's, it's been a long time and I'm from Arizona. So it's, you know, near and dear to my heart that it's close to where I grew up in Flagstaff. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was nice to evolve my gun ownership journey. You know, I grew up with firearms hunting with my dad, but you know, when you move away and you live in a big city, you kind of want to defend yourself against criminals. So you have to kind of shift your mindset to a different kind of training and, and type of gun ownership. And so Gunsight was able to do that for me. Wow. So now you grew up in Arizona and you went to school in Arizona as well, right? I did. Yeah. I grew up in Flagstaff, which, you know, folks out West will know that Flagstaff is not like the rest of Arizona. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like Colorado, 7,000 feet elevation, pine trees, lots of snow, big mountain. Um, but then I went to school in Tucson and I always joke about how it ruined me because now I can't handle anything below 70 degrees, uh, going to school in the desert. So, um, yeah, my family's been in Arizona since before Arizona was a state actually. So on my dad's side, and no my dad's from Globe, Arizona. You know, they moved there, um, and my my ancestors were miners. So, yeah, there's a lot of family history in Arizona. So, I take it you've done some heraldry studies, and you've looked up, you know, the family tree. And how far back can you trace it? So, my great grandparents both came through on my dad's side through Ellis Island, um, and they came through in the early 1900s. I think 1906 and 1908. And so I've seen their name in the book at Ellis Island in New York. And they came separately, but then met in Leeb, North Dakota, because that's where a lot of the mining was and a lot of where a lot of immigrants were going. And then they they met there, got married, and moved to Globe, Arizona again because of mining opportunities. And it's so interesting because I actually just went back to Croatia where they're from in August and they grew up just five miles away from each other 
in Croatia, former Yugoslavia, but never met until they came to America. And so um, they they lived in Globe. They had three children. Uh, the only person who had um, children was my grandfather. He met his wife when he was fighting the Japanese in the Philippines during World War II. He then got malaria, went to Australia for treatment, and she actually happened to work at the hospital. Uh, they eloped in Australia, and he sent her back to Arizona by herself, and she waited for him to come back from the war. <laughs> and then they story. were told that then they were told that they couldn't have children, so they adopted my uncle, and then all of a sudden they were pregnant with my dad and his brother. Um, so it's kind of an amazing story that I exist at all. Um, but then on my mom's side, my mom's family has been here uh, since before the American Revolution. I'm actually a daughter of the American Revolution, so mm -hmm. her side uh, was up north in Massachusetts and uh, fought in the American Revolution. So they've been here for a really long time. So. Both sides have some pretty interesting stories. Wow, that story opens up so many questions that I have for you. Number one, <laughs> I have to know, did they spell your family's name correctly at Ellis Island? Because that was a common problem where the person that was scribing the names in the ledger would not understand the immigrant's tongue and the names right, would get right. all messed up and it would now carry with them for generations. So was that the correct spelling? So it's correct in in the book, um, it's, it's a C with a little accent, mm -hmm. Pavlich. Um, and I, I'm not sure what the story is about, whether it changed after that so it was easier for people to say it, right? Because people get confused still, they'll say ick instead of Pavlich. Um, so I don't know if they added on the CH to try and make it more, you know, appropriate for mm -hmm. English. Um, but it is spelled the old country way in the book. I'm, 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 so I'm not sure what changed, but um, they did spell it correctly. Wow. So <laughs> another question that came up with that, that brief story, right? And I mean, the coffee's hitting right now. So like now I'm starting to like <laughs> finally wake up and, and, and listen and, and just get just in time, just in time, right? <laughs> uh, so you said your grandfather fought in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So my yeah, he was uh, go ahead. I was gonna say he was a he was an army bushmaster, so he was in the U.S. Army, part of the bushmasters, and was in the Philippines when he got malaria. Wow. See, and and this is where you know my personal interest gets piqued because uh, my grandfather moved many of the townspeople into the jungle, and they lived in the jungle from 1941 until 1945 in a cave. Wow. And they hid wow. from the Japanese. So anytime <laughs> oh that I can, gosh. I can pick up a little nugget about you know who was where, or anytime that there's a hint, I always you know. My radar goes goes way up. That's incredible. Uh, wow. What was he there uh, for the return of MacArthur, or what stage in the war? Like, did he ever experience uh, any of the the hardship that you know the guys uh, over there did, like as the Japanese were invading, or uh, like do you know that the years that he was over there? I think it was a little bit later in the war. Um, and I don't know exactly because unfortunately I never got to meet him and he died very young oh, when my dad was only 13. So we don't have a ton of those personal, you know, firsthand stories about what his experience was. Um, but it was just so unfortunate. You know, I feel like I, I know him, but I don't know him. Right. Um, he was such an amazing person. Um, but I think it was a little bit in the later, but I, I honestly am not sure. So you're a journalist, you've done a lot of research. I know you're an author. 
And I have to ask you a question because, you know, my background before I joined Fieldcraft, I spent 14 years as a high school history teacher. And mm -hmm. I was basically <laughs> the black sheep of the education world because, you know, I was a straight, white, very right. conservative male teaching in, you know, liberal academia. Um, mm -hmm. But one of the questions, and I want to ask you, is what are your thoughts on Wikipedia compared to a textbook? Ooh, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm not a big fan of Wikipedia because oftentimes my Wikipedia page gets updated with things that are not true. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I was in college and high school, Wikipedia was starting to be this new tool that people could use. And the rule was always you're never allowed to cite it as a source right. in college right. for your papers. But when I look at a lot of the time, and, and I guess more modern day, maybe just because I've been paying more attention to this, to textbooks, I'm not so sure how different they are to Wikipedia, just depending on who's writing them. Mm -hmm. And I've really had a lot of questions over the past couple of years about history in general and what really happened. And a couple of years ago, I went to the museum in Washington, D.C., which is an used to be an amazing museum. And they used to have all the newspapers of you know, all of the newspapers across the country outside every single day. So you could walk by and see them. But when you go through the, the, the museum, you'd see these major stories that I had covered and paid attention to extensively. And they were written from a very different perspective than either the facts or, you know, what actually happened. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's, I, I mean, I would hope that textbooks are more accurate. And I think they, they go through a lot more vetting, given the fact that they are printed, right? It's not like you right. can just go in and edit a textbook like you can edit Wikipedia. Um, but I do think that there's a big problem with, as you know, being in academia, uh, a bias that feeds into these textbooks. And we've seen, we're seeing this more and more uh, with this critical race theory right. uh, nonsense, this, you know, 1619 project, which has actually been debunked by a number of historians and yet it was pushed into schools. Um, so obviously there are technical differences, but I do think there are still serious concerns about the truth and what is being pushed to students everywhere. And you might be wondering, right, you're on the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Why am I asking about Wikipedia and research and whatnot? But it's a it's a problem that I think is exists in this country where there are so many people that are willing to accept single source information without verifying mm -hmm. elsewhere. And when right. I when I left public education, the general trend was look, you can surf around on Wikipedia and get ideas, but you have to verify them. Right. And right. a lot of instructors, teachers, professors, they all said, listen, Wikipedia has more information on it than your textbook. So there's a mm -hmm. positive aspect to it there. But as you said, anyone can go in there and edit it. And right. it is kind of funny. I mean, this is like, this goes against all the historical, you know, uh, I don't know if you want to call it gatekeeping or what, but I, I think it's kind of funny when someone wrongs society and then everyone goes into Wikipedia and changes the, 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 the information about that person. Um, yeah. but, but when it happens to someone that, you know, it's not so funny, you know? So, uh, <laughs> right, right. It's but, like, Hey, that's not true. Right. Right. Um, so and I just, I'm visually I, inept, so I don't know how to edit Wikipedia. You know, it's one mm -hmm. skill I don't have. So like, I haven't gone in to edit it, you know, any of those pages, but I guess maybe I should learn. 
help do a service. Oh gosh. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think Wikipedia it's there, there are a lot of wikis that are out there. There's even wikis that are for survival information, which I see mm-hmm. information that's always incorrect. Um, but those publicly, right. publicly, I don't know if it's editable. I don't even know if that's a word. Um, if you, the we'll public make it a word, the word yes, now <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> there it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, unfortunate when bad information gets out there. But uh, like you said, the the textbooks, on the other hand, like if someone picks up a textbook, you need to understand if you're a student in this country, and I'm speaking to like all the high school students that might be listening mm-hmm. or parents of high school students, many times those textbooks are written for the Texas audience. And the reason being is if Texas will buy all their textbooks all at once for all of the, the, the high schools in the, the state. So mm-hmm. if they get one contract, I mean, that publishing company is good for the year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, uh, all right. Enough about textbooks and Wikipedia. Uh, all right. So <laughs> well, I come from a, a family of educators, so I understand, you know, the information and I, I, most importantly, I think you're talking about going to different sources and getting information. I think the lack of debate in academia, whether it's in elementary school, grade school, high school, or especially college is a real problem because it's like, you're only allowed to have one source. Right. So right. I think getting back to having multiple sources of information from different perspectives would be beneficial to everybody. And I'm sure you've been engaged in some very heated debates. And it's always fascinating when you take a step back as just the observer or the onlooker or the listener in a debate and you just follow the logic of the, the mm-hmm. two sides. And the minute that someone attacks you as a person, you know that you've won. You know what I mean? Like, right. or you know that that other side has has won. Um, but that's, I think, where we are right now with a lot of the ideas in this country. It's if they don't like the idea, they attack the person and they they say, oh, yeah. they're bad, they're racist, you know, whatever it may be. Um, you know, so I think the the importance of being able to to diplomatically debate someone mm-hmm. as opposed to just yelling, right? Like the loudest voice yeah. in the room is not always the the strongest voice, you know? Um, That's for sure. You know, but, that. That's for sure. but I think a lot of yeah. politicians in Washington, DC, you know, sitting down at restaurants, getting harassed, uh, are, are feeling the, the brunt of the other side that hasn't realized that, you know, which yeah. I, don't, I don't know That's what I would whole... do. I don't know what I would do if I, I mean, have you experienced that at all? Like, have you been in a restaurant and had someone just blast you for what you said on on television i haven't been in a restaurant but i've done my fair share of speaking on college campuses where i've required security and couldn't even go to the restroom without security standing outside the door um you know i was i was a in 2014 i was one of the early people who was protested by black lives matter and falsely accused of putting a, a noose in a tree which ended up being a leftover lantern hanger from an oh event God. that was on campus um so yeah, I've I've experienced it in, in certain ways. It luckily, hasn't happened in a restaurant. Um, but you know, living in Washington D.C. over the past couple of years has really been eye-opening and interesting, just given the the political environment. Um, and there have been times where you know I don't go into D.C. and we don't go to certain places and uh, we stay off of certain streets because of these mobs that would literally come by to restaurants and not just harass politicians who are public figures, but demand that people sitting outside eating their dinner comply with their demands. Um, so it's been an interesting time for sure. Um, and I'd say the the temperature has certainly been raised, uh, but 
I, I'm not I'm not someone who is not used to that kind of thing occurring. Let's just say that. What's your advice for someone who might be listening? They might be out to dinner with their family. Maybe they have something on a on a t-shirt, or maybe someone in the party has something on like a bag, like a pin, or or maybe mm-hmm. it's not even that. Maybe it's just someone being completely irate. Do you have any advice for someone who is publicly accosted like that? Yeah, well, I would say, you know, try not to take the bait. The whole point of them getting in your face or trying to accost you is to get a reaction, right? That's their whole purpose. And for them, you know, my, my grandfather used to have a saying, never get in a pissing contest with a skunk because you both end, end up smelling bad and skunk doesn't care. Uh, and that's a really good thing to keep in mind because, you know, someone's always going to be filming you. And as we've learned, you know, these people, there are never any consequences for their actions. And they quite frankly don't care if there are consequences, but for you, you could lose your job. Um, you'll be on the internet and it doesn't matter what the facts of the case were, you'll be painted as a bad guy. So that doesn't mean put up with it. That doesn't mean raise your fists in, you know, in compliance with what they want. Um, just kind of calmly rejecting their, their harassment is, is a good way to try to get it to end. And if it gets really bad, you should call the police. Um, and obviously if it gets violent, that gets into other issues of self-defense and that kind of thing. Um, but not taking the bait, I think is important. Um, but you know, I would also advise people to continue wearing their shirts and to continue wearing their pins and Mm -hmm. not to let them silence you. I mean, that's the whole, you know, why is it that you can't in America wear something that you believe in? Right. So, um, I think they, a lot of the time think they can get away with this stuff. Um, and they're really cowards. So the second that people really stand up to them, they tend to stop. Um, so, you know, it's a balance, but I, I think the harassers understanding that people aren't going to put up with it and that they have the right to, to speak freely as well uh, tends to at least blunt the situation. I think all of that is compounded by the fact that the police officers aren't being backed up in this country anymore. You know, mm-hmm. like yeah. you call the police on these people who are clearly creating a breach of peace at the minimum. Yeah. Right. And most likely more than that, probably verbal and physical assault. Uh, And the police, if they attempt to arrest or detain anyone, then the police are going to be painted as the bad guy. And even if these people are arrested, they're let out on cashless bond and they're out doing it again. So I mean, I don't think there is a there's a magic potion or there's a panacea or anything that you can use to to cure this this problem that we're facing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and I don't know what the multi-step approach would be as a nation. Do you have an idea of like, how do we get things back on the right track? Like we've gone so far into the the world of crazies. I don't know what it's gonna take to get us back. Well, and I I try not to make it political because like you you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, it's about logic and just basic respect and order and, you know, uh, you bring up the police. I was actually in New York City probably a year ago in Times Square at the Walgreens. And there were these guys clearly on drugs, shirts off, dirty clothes in the, the, the Walgreens, just stealing everything, like just stealing white claws, stealing alcohol. Um, and then they left and came back and put back these this drink that they had stolen because it wasn't cold enough. And then went back to the back of the store and got the cold version and walked out of the store. Meanwhile, there was another guy who's berating the clerk for not giving him a bad for the goods that he had just stolen and walked out of the store. And we're thinking like, where are the cops, right? What's going on here? 
and the poor clerks are just there making honest living, right? They're trying to to work and not engage in this kind of situation. It's dangerous for them. You don't know if these guys are armed or not. And we walk outside and there's a guy rifling through this suitcase and he holds up a vial of heroin to the light. And we're just like, what is happening? And I turn around and again, I'm asking, where are the police? And we walk a block and the police are literally in line to get ice cream. And I, and it's like, okay, this is, I guess I can't blame them because if they go in there and arrest these guys, they're just going to be let out of jail and it creates a dangerous situation. But then what's the end result, right? It's the people who work in the store, the people who are patronizing the Mm -hmm. store like us getting harassed by these people who it's completely lawless. And so, you know, New York is an example of, of things being completely out of control, but in terms of how you fix it, I always ask the question, you know, it's like if you let this get so out of control, the only response is also going to be extreme. So the further you go down this road of extremism, of lawlessness, the harsher the response has to be to right. get it back to being normal. And when you have, when the police aren't showing up or they show up and these criminals are getting let out again, citizens eventually are going to respond themselves and because they're going to have to uh, as a result of survival, Right. Um, but in terms of policy, you know, we have seen things that work to deter crime in this country. Obviously, you're never going to stop every single crime, but you can create an environment of deterrence, right? You can create an environment where the federal government can work with the local government on federal charges, which bring harsher penalties. Um, you can put laws on the books that make crimes more punishable just based on the sentencing. But you know, we saw it in New York City with Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. Like, you start with the broken windows theory because, mm-hmm. you know, small crimes turn into big crimes. It's it's just so obvious. You know, you keep bad guys in jail. You know, there's a reason why there's been a lot of criticism about incarceration in this country. But the reason why the murder rate was cut in half between 1992 and 2012 was because we locked up dangerous people so they couldn't victimize others again. And that's not what we're doing right now. We're letting criminals run the show and people are being victimized every single day. And you have these politicians saying that, oh, it's a one in a million chance that this happens, which is A, a false number, but B, just, uh, you know, tossing aside of the rights of people not to be assaulted or abused or killed. Right. And for me, the biggest thing coming from the West Coast, being from Arizona and living in places with lots of gun control is the people in charge in the places with lots of gun control are also the same people calling to defund the police. So not only do they not want you to defend yourself (laughs) and your livelihood and your bodily autonomy, they also aren't going to back the police who would maybe, maybe be able to step in and defend you. Hey guys, we're just going to interrupt this podcast just for a couple more advertisements. These are the companies that make things totally possible uh, on this podcast. So the first company I want to recognize is Manscaped. The company's website is manscaped.com, right? Think of it like landscape, except man. And you can use the coupon code fieldcraft and get 20% off of your order. Now, Manscaped is, it's one of those companies that you tend not to talk about among your friends unless it comes up. Uh, I know here at the office, uh, our director of marketing, Rob Parsons, he 
he talks about manscaped uh you know this is when you get a chance to trim up those sensitive areas that you know you shouldn't be making you know your eye contact down there um let's just say that this will keep you looking totally straight away and keep you looking uh like you actually take care of yourself. Uh, you're not going to nick yourself. You're not going to cause bleeding. I think we've all seen that movie. Uh, there's something about Mary. Um, yeah, you don't want to end up with the law enforcement and first responders showing up because you did something while you were manscaping. Uh, so manscaped.com is the website that you want to go to. Use the coupon code FEELCRAFT. You will get 20% off. Uh, you'll get free shipping. And the cool thing about these products, according to Rob, is they will unlock your confidence and always give you the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So guys, check out manscaped.com. The second company, BetterHelp, okay? Uh, BetterHelp. And this show, I'm telling you right now, is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, Listen, we've all dealt with different types of stress, different types of issues. Um, We've all dealt with those times when you can't put into words what you're feeling. Um, There are times when you just need someone to talk to. There's times when you just need to hear something, okay? Um, As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash fieldcraft. That's betterhelp.com slash fieldcraft. Guys, like I said, life doesn't come with a user manual. Uh, there are sometimes that things don't work for you and it does feel normal sometimes to feel stuck. Well, better help will get you the help that you need. And as that snowball rolls further and further down that hill and it gets more momentum, things like disrespect for police are taken to the extreme. And mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago in my hometown, Right in my own hometown, two officers—they uh, were posthumously uh, promoted. So Sergeant uh, Alex Hamsey and, and Lieutenant Dustin Demonte—they were ambushed, and it was actually covered by Fox News. Uh, they were ambushed by—I uh, won't even mention his name—but a, a kid who I knew from being a teacher. Right, and I actually knew mm-hmm. Alex Hamsey. I know his family well because I—he was a student when I was a, a intern getting my teaching certification. So these guys were ambushed because someone said, you know what, I did, I'm going to shoot at cops. And the the heroism of, of Officer um, Alec Ayorado, I mean, he stopped the bad guy. But right. I mean, where did that begin? Right. Where did that that idea of, hey, I'm just going to go and shoot a couple of cops. It had to start somewhere. And right. every time that someone says defund the police it, from the politician side or from political groups, right, it it chips away at the legitimacy of, of what police actually do. And by the way, these two guys, one of them has uh, two or three kids and one on the way. The other one just got married. Like they were by every account, good police officers and good people 
aside from wearing the badge. And I can't stand it when, when they get painted as, oh, all cops are bad, defund everyone. Well, do you mm-hmm. really want that to happen? You know, like, like, can we, right. so just hypothetically, just, just for, for the sake of, you know, argument, let's, what happens if the crazies do decide, and I'm just going to call them crazies because that's easy for me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little hyped up yeah. on caffeine. <laughs> um, what happens if we do defund the police? It does become more of that citizen policing, which there's right. no standard with citizen policing, right? right? Like you might have someone chase you away with a broom or chase you away with a shotgun or a whole family is going to chase you away. You know, like maybe right. that's not the best answer. Um, and now I think we're seeing a lot of these municipalities that have defunded the police are slowly refunding them because they're realizing mm-hmm. what happens when the cops aren't responding. Yeah. And, you know, the defunds portion of that is thought of in monetary terms, but defunding the police is not simply about taking away their money and giving it to social workers or other programs that they think will help deter criminals from carrying out violent crimes. It's also about the morale. Mm-hmm. It's also about the fact that police are retiring in droves and people aren't wanting to sign up to be police officers, not because they're not getting enough money. Um, in Washington, D.C., they're refunding the police and they they actually just issued a $20,000 signing bonus to try and get people back into the police force. But nobody wants to sign up because why would you? Why right. would you sign up to be put yourself in a dangerous situation every day, uh, and especially places like D.C. where the criminals are violent, you know, extraordinarily violent. Your encounters are constantly with armed, violent criminals. And, you know, you're not just simply doing uh, traffic stops. You're dealing with hard criminals who the justice system has let out repeatedly. And you could end up on on YouTube or in the news falsely accused of something that you didn't do. Um, And this all started, you know, in 2014 when the media pushed this ridiculous false narrative that Michael Brown in St. Louis at Ferguson, you know, had his hands up and was shot in the back by uh, a police officer there. And that that wasn't the case. He had robbed a store uh, violently. He attempted to take the officer's gun and the officer was lost his job, was run through uh, the smear machine from the media for years from the president of the United States. And that really, I think, is when it started with this this whole um, morale getting erased across the country and not under, you know, people aren't going to sign up for a dangerous job if they don't think that the leadership doesn't have their back. And we're seeing as a result, like you said, a lack of that policing. And and ultimately that doesn't end up in a good place. And I'm not sure they're actually thinking about where we go from, from there uh, or they're willing to allow citizens to, you know, be placed into these positions and then arrest them for daring to defend themselves. As we've also seen Uh, either way, all the roads end badly as a result of that kind of ideology. I know. Philosophical question now, since you brought up Mike Brown. I remember when that story broke, I was actually in Costa Rica and I remember seeing, uh, actually, I remember seeing a lot of the news stations showing all the riots and everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I remember those news stations also using photos of Mike Brown when he was about 12 years old, right? 12 years old and about 100 pounds and you know a tiny little kid and not the i think mm-hmm. he was like six two six three and massive individual how do you feel about the need for breaking stories like being first but then also mm-hmm. the balance of like you got to get it right and like what happens when when someone or like i shouldn't say someone like when a news entity breaks a story they use that picture of mike brown and then they don't say anything like oh 
we we used an old photo, not the most recent. Like, how, what are your philosophical thoughts on on that idea of like balancing speed of of getting news out there, but then also the accuracy? Yeah, I mean, I think that you can get it out there, but just be honest about it. Like, say this is a an old photo mm-hmm. of of the person. And then do your work as a journalist to find an updated photo. Um, and when they don't do the work to find an updated photo on a, on a story that charged, um, then it's clear to me that they have a, a bias and an intention to tell the story in a certain way, which we saw for years until there was a grand jury investigation from the Department of Justice, which completely debunked every single narrative that had been pushed for, for that long. Um, and then there's no accountability for those kinds of, of distortions, which is extremely frustrating. Um, but I, I think if they're using old photos, trying to portray someone a certain way um, with outdated footage, then you as a viewer or a consumer can kind of get your spidey senses up that maybe there's more to the story. And as we know, there was a lot more to the story. Oh, for sure. With that one. I mean, I know, I mean, just looking at the autopsy results, you know, and they, Mm -hmm. they're like, well, he got shot in the top of his head. Well, that's usually from a charge. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and that's a fact. I mean, it's not like the officer that shot him was bigger than him and he shot down. He was angled that way because he was tackling that cop. Um, but that's, that's something that we can talk about another time. I I could go, I get very passionate about people that are, that are just looking for the likes on Instagram or just looking to, to, to raise hell, but they're doing a disservice to history, right? Like I'm still a a history teacher Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Right. Um, Well, for me, I think the biggest frustration for me is that I have zero tolerance for this promotion of criminality Mm -hmm. over the victims who are, Uh, victims of these heinous crimes because when you're a victim of a crime whether it's getting your purse stolen or whether it's being beaten severely and then even more you know horrific if you're raped or um you don't recover from that in your life i mean you can it changes your life forever you can recover from it i shouldn't say you don't recover but it does change your life it changes your perspective it changes how you carry yourself it changes how you think about things and this idea that we're now allowing criminals to have the last word on victimhood is infuriating. I mean, I alone know five or six women over the past six months who have been victims of violent crimes uh, in different cities around the country. And listening to their stories about how people aren't being prosecuted, how the police came and you know took all the information they needed, but they haven't heard anything from the justice system is infuriating. And to know that the people who attacked them are were released right away uh, and are out of jail and on the streets, uh, that's infuriating. And they have to think about the fact that that person is still out there after what they did to them. And that's not justice. That's not fair. That's not the way the criminal justice system is supposed to work. It's supposed to protect innocent people from violent criminals. And right now they're not doing that. And so um, it's it's not just a matter of philosophy or politics. It's a matter of real people being victims of this. And the various people who who you know, the, the defund crowd claim to be standing up for and protecting have been victimized the most, which is, is one of the worst parts of the whole thing. And I think that infuriation comes from the fact that there's no balance, right? Like the justice system is about returning balance and order. And when someone is allowed to be victimized and then there's no return to center, 
that's frustrating because you know that that process is going to happen over and over and over mm -hmm. again. And that becomes the new normal, you know, right. it's, it's With more people getting victimized, <laughs> Jeez. real people. You so, know? so. I, I wanted to ask you, so you've been with Fox for many years, almost a decade now, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. In that, that career that you've had at that news station, do you have one particular news piece that you're like, man, that is, that's the one that I am the most proud of. Like, that's my standout moment. I, I crushed it. Like, do you have one story or one event that you covered or reported on that you're like, wow, this is the one. Uh, well, uh, my time at Fox has been amazing. I'm a contributor there, so I'm not mm -hmm. uh, reporting there every single day. But there have been, you know, speaking of the defund the police movement, you know, um, during the Obama administration, they appointed President Obama appointed a man named Adebo Adebole uh, to run the civil rights division at the Justice Department. And a quick look in his background showed that he actually. Um, worked to get the death sentence overturned for Mumia Abu Jamal, mm -hmm. who of course was the uh, cop, convicted cop killer uh, who killed a New Jersey uh, police officer after he pulled him over many, many years ago. Uh, Danny Faulkner was, was the officer. And we worked so hard in that story and we're talking about his background and talking about that it wasn't just a matter of, of overturning a death penalty because there's plenty of people who don't think that criminals should get the death penalty, but they should spend the rest of their life in prison. This is a situation of them trying to get his conviction overturned. They thought he, he wasn't responsible for the murder of Danny Faulkner. And we worked on that story over and over again. And eventually it went up for a Senate vote and the Senate decided not to confirm him. Um, so that was, I think, a, a results-driven um, you know, story. Um, and then in my other work, you know, I wrote my first book was on Operation Fast and Furious um, years ago. And that really felt like a rewarding experience just to get that story in black and white, um, just given the gravity of, of that scandal and that situation. So there's been a few things over the years, but I would say those two things were, I think, the most impactful. So let's talk about Fast and Furious because, I mean, that book... Uh, I mean, people don't realize it was, well, I don't want to say legalized gun running, but it was government authorized gun running. Can you kind of give like the, the 60 second version of the scandal and like what people should know about it? Yeah. So basically between 2009 and 2010, the federal government, the justice department directed the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, ATF to force a number of gun dealerships in Arizona, some in Texas, there are other operations that happened in Florida and forced them to sell thousands of AK-47s, 50 caliber rifles, handguns to known straw purchasers who are people who, who can buy guns legally for those who cannot buy them. Uh, so straw purchasers who were working directly for Mexican cartels and then they lied to these gun shops and said these guns would not be trafficked into Mexico but they allowed them to be trafficked into Mexico and then they quote lost track of them until they started showing up at violent crime scenes in Mexico. And then they had this narrative that these gun shops in the United States were fueling the murder crisis in Mexico. Look at all these guns showing up down there when it was the federal government who was actually trafficking those guns into the country. And things really came to a head when Border Patrol agent Brian Terry, who was part of the Borchak team, was killed in Arizona and one of those guns was left at his crime scene. Um, of course, they covered it up. The emails show this. It's all documented in the book. 
and uh, it really was a government-sanctioned gun trafficking entity that they then tried to pin on law-abiding gun shop owners uh, under the guise of calling for more gun control. So it really was just such a horrific, tragic, uh, preventable situation. And hundreds of, of Mexican citizens died as well. Um, the gov our government didn't tell the Mexican government we were doing this. <laughs> uh, so they found out when hundreds of people were being killed and these guns started showing up in Mexico. Perfect example of do as I say, not as I do, right? The same government that uh -huh. tells me in Connecticut, where I'm from, uh, for a number of years, we could own high, I'm sorry, standard capacity magazines. I'm not even going to use the term that is so commonly thrown out there. Standard capacity uh -huh. magazines for firearms, but that's only if we own them before a ban went in place. And when we left our homes, we couldn't load more than 10 rounds in those standard capacity magazines, even if they held 17, 15, whatever it was. Uh, it, it the the lack of consistent application of the law is another mm -hmm. thing that drives me absolutely up a wall. Uh, yep. You know, I'm a proponent for for constitutional carry across the nation, and yep. you know, I think the current trend of all these states turning towards that. I don't know if we'll eventually have all fifty, but I'm very happy what we have so far, and I, I hope that trend trend continues. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Bruin case helped with that too. It's, it's great to watch the Bruin case kind of knock mm -hmm. down a lot of these super anti second amendment laws in New York and, you know, places like Connecticut, Hawaii, California. Um, it's just such a slow slog to go from, <laughs> you know, shall not be infringed to all of these court cases to reinstate people's rights. But uh, I agree with you. And, and as we've seen constitutional carry does not result in, uh, you know, more crime, it actually decreases crime uh, across the country. Yeah. Armed society is a polite society, right? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, changing subject just a little bit, you had a stint on the five, right? Yeah. I still, I'm still uh, doing that show. So I fill in every now and then. So I, I head up to New York and you can do with a five. It's an awesome fun gig. Um, I, I was going to say, yeah, you've got a, for a couple years. You've got a lot of interesting characters on that show. And I mean, I, that's one of those shows that I tune into pretty religiously. So, you know, Gutfield yeah. and Kennedy and, and Geraldo. Number one, I've, I can't believe that Kennedy from like my childhood on MTV is on Fox. Awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. Juan is not my parents or my dad because my mom passed away, but my, my mom and my dad at the time, they did not like Juan very much. Uh, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, and then, and then Emily, uh, Campagno, my friend, Lieutenant Mike is a big fan of her. Um, so what is it like on that show? I mean, are you guys like when that camera's on and then the camera goes off, are you basically the same exact people like just ribbing each other left and right? I mean, it seems like it's pretty natural, the chemistry that's on that show. Um, but I mean, do you have a favorite person to debate with or a favorite person to kind of <laughs> add on to, you know what they're saying? Yeah, no, it's, it's an awesome show. It's, it's, um, it is, you know, people on the show are very similar to how they are during the commercial breaks. And if there's a heated argument, you know, it usually just stays, you know, how you, you leave everything on the field, you leave everything, you know, at the commercial break, so to speak. Um, there's usually not a ton of tension after a big, you know, debate on set. I really enjoy being on the show with Jessica Tarlov um, mm -hmm. because I think she's she's a smart, you know, we, we don't agree on mostly everything, but we do find some agreement, but she's a smart liberal and I, I feel challenged by her. I appreciate people who, who challenge you intellectually, even if you disagree with them. Um, so we have a, a good time. And then, you know, Judge Janine is 
has all this experience and, and is a great legal mind. Um, you know, Dana Perino, who was a former White House press secretary, she's great. She's from Wyoming, so we share that Western, you know, camaraderie. Greg is just hilarious. I have to like catch myself like not laughing at him all the time. Um, and Jesse's great. You know, Geraldo's awesome. So it's just a really fun show, and I'm very grateful that I've been able to do it um, over the years, and hopefully we'll continue to do it. But I think it's a, a wild success being you know, number one show, oftentimes um, because it's like sitting with your friends or in family around a table and discussing issues of the day. Right. And even though they say you're never supposed to speak religion or politics at like a, at a dinner table, you know, it's great that you're able to do that. And, you know, it's fascinating that you're, you're saying, yeah, you know, we, we just leave the, the arguments there, you know, just part of the job. And Mm -hmm. that's the way it should be. Like we should encourage healthy debate, you know, uh, John Stuart Mill said, you know, he who only knows his side of the argument knows a little of that. You know, it's so important yep. to have that ability to have someone challenge you like, well, why should you carry? And I'll go back to standard capacity max. Why should you carry those and, and not the 10 rounders? Well, maybe that's what it was designed for. Maybe if I really right. trust and protect my life and I want to save the people that I care the most for, I want the best version. You know, like I, I want someone to ask me tough questions because it forces a better discussion. But then again, if we right. go back to our earlier conversation, if we get yelled at, you can't hear what I'm saying. And that's where we are mm-hmm. right now with the state of state of this country and, and dealing with people yeah, that, yeah. that aren't civil. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, there's plenty of people who don't want to hear the other side of the argument, right? I mean, they, they just aren't interested. But I do think that there are plenty of people who, especially Americans, like they, they are, they, they're capable and interested and hungry to, mm-hmm. to listen to different perspectives. Um, listening to different perspectives doesn't mean you agree with different perspectives. Right. Um, it just means that you understand them. You know, there's a lot that I understand about the other side of, of where I sit politically. It doesn't mean I agree with it, but I understand it. And therefore I can make a better argument when it comes to, you know, policy on the second amendment or other issues as a result. Um, and I think that's really crucial for people to be able to make best decisions as citizens who vote for policy and legislation and people who represent them. You know, in your, in your time at Fox, did you ever bump into the uh, economic advisor, Mike Lee? Uh, No, nope. Well, Mike is a kid that I went to college with. And oh, there you go. Yeah, so so I've got that connection to the to the network in that way. Uh, he and I actually, you know, I went to Fairfield U, and we lived on the beach together. Uh, like, and I oh, say together, nice. like he was a couple he was a couple houses over. But uh, it's just funny, and I will never throw him under the bus. Like what happens at Fairfield Point, you know, Lantern Point happens at Fairfield Lantern Point. Um, but I'll just tell you, it's so funny to see Mike Lee, who I knew as a, as a senior, he was a junior on Fox and, and I love that kid to death. Right. And I, I say kid, mm-hmm, he's a grown man mm-hmm. with, with a family, but, uh, you know, I just got to say shout out to Mike Lee if you're listening and I will tag you on <laughs> like Instagram. See him, I'll tell him I told, I talked to you. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, the same way that we, uh, we started talking over Jack Carr, you can be like, Oh, I know this guy from Fieldcraft right. who knows you. Exactly. Um, so, yep. so final, final question here. We started the show saying that we met at Gunsight because I knew that you mm-hmm. and I both knew, know Jack Carr. I just yeah. want to know, how did you end up meeting him? And yeah. I'm assuming it has to do something with SIG, right? No. No, no actually, uh, I met him. I mean, I guess SIG is kind of in this, but uh, no, I met him a, a decade ago at the NRA convention through a mutual friend. Oh, okay. And he was just getting out of the military and um, was was interested in you know book publication. And I had just published my first book. 
Um, so we just, you know, discussed that process and, and how do you get to a publisher and uh, that kind of thing. And uh, we just became really fast friends, had a lot in, a lot in common. Um, and yeah, so I've just known him for a, a long time and I'm super stoked to see how everything is, has worked out for him. Um, so yeah, I met him at the NRA. So I guess Sig, Sig could be involved there, <laughs> but no, I met him, I met him at the NRA about and, a decade ago. And you made a cameo in a show, right? You were on the, I did, yeah, which was I was so like, cool. Okay. Because when I, when I read, when I read his books and there was that character of Katie and it was a journalist and then I started seeing the two of you guys together. I'm like, is Katie, Katie Pavlich? Like, did, did he ever tell you that? Did, is that how he came at that name or? I mean, it's still classified. I can't comment. <laughs> redacted, right? That's it's the word redacted. that he would use. Um, yeah, it's so, redacted. yeah, he, he's a great guy. I, I tried getting him out to a, a seminar that we did this past weekend and he's like, I'm in lockdown trying to write my next book. And, uh, yeah. and, and, you know, I always tell people because they're like, Oh, you've met Jack Carr. I'm like, I podcasted him. He's a great guy. They're like, but is, is he like super secret? Like, like Navy seal. I'm like, he is the least Navy seal guy I know. And I mean that exactly. in the nicest way. Like he yeah. is just the salt of the earth. Like our, uh, you know, one of our, our coworkers here does some work for him in fulfillment, like shipping out his hats and this and that. Mm -hmm. And, and she loves him. She's like, he is the most genuine, honest, sweetest guy. He's also a killer. Like the dude has skills. Um, yeah. but he is the true, uh, like nice guy, but he could flip it if he needed to and, and be there to, you know, do some work. Uh, yeah, no, he's it, a really, really special person. And, rare a very unique person they don't make another one of another jack car and uh you know his his whole mantra is never miss a, an opportunity to make somebody's day mm -hmm. and you know he's so smart i don't know how he keeps up with the writing and the the hollywood stuff and the you know everything that he's doing with his instagram account and it's just it's doing all these amazing things and he's as humble as ever. And he never forgets anybody who helped him along the way. And I'm, I'm jealous of his skill set to keep all of his friends straight. And he, he has so many friends and he, he is good to every single one of them. Um, so I, I'm grateful to have met him and I'm, I'm super excited that he has been so successful and has helped so many people along the way in his post-military career. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, I'm a, yeah, I'm a writer. I've got the one book under my my belt so far. I've got the second one written, which I'm just waiting for. Yeah, you sent me your book. I, I, I did. appreciated that. Some survival skills. It was good. I knew a few things in there. Yeah. Uh, not not everything, obviously, but yeah. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Thank oh, you. Well, you're, you're <laughs> most welcome. And uh, you know, Jack, I'll tell you, he he gave me advice on the second one, and you know, he's he's always just been so uh, open about sharing his craft. Like this is right. how you do it. You know, Oh, maybe you should go through this way. Maybe you should like, we talked about self publication versus going through a big publishing house. Like I do with the first one. And I mean, mm -hmm. when you talk to him and you know, I feel like I'm, I'm like the president of the Jack Carr fan club right now, but like when you talk to him, he, uh, you really know that he's paying attention, right? He's invested a hundred percent in the conversation. Um, and it just, I, I've never had a bad experience with him. I've never heard anything bad about him. And you know, it just makes me want to support him even more. Um, That's just so incredible is he also gives other people advice. I'm like, how do you have time to be <laughs> right. a mentor? Like a, all these things. It's just incredible. Can you bottle that up and sell it? That'd be awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So what are you, work, <laughs> what are you working on right now? I mean, cause it's that as a time of, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but right now it's the fall and we're in that transition period yeah. with season. So like what, what's on your plate right now? 
Yeah. So actually, I just did a, a series with Fox Nation called Luxury Hunting Lodges of America. Ooh. And uh, I get to go around and, 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 and look at all these, you know, go hunting and, and stay at these awesome places across the country, which is so funny because, you know, I grew up hunting and we did not stay at luxury lodges. It was like, <laughs> I insisted we stay in a tent and, you know, even if it was, it was cold and snowing, we were not going to stay in a hotel. Um, so I have some, some of that in the works for filming for the upcoming season of that the second season. So we'll be doing some of that. Um, and then just getting through the midterm elections in a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, I can't believe it's almost 2023, but we'll see what the, the future holds, but those are kind of the immediate, immediate, uh, projects we got going on dare i ask what your predictions are for the midterm elections i think republicans are gonna have a good night um <laughs> it's just the momentum is going that way but but you never know so right. it, it could be a, it'll be a dog fight down to the last the last vote but um I, th I think just given the way that things have been going um i think americans want some balance in washington it's it's a one party rule town right now and it's it's a little bit extreme so <laughs> they just want to tap the brakes a little bit for sure for sure so where can people find you like i mean if they want to get in touch with you i mean i'm sure you have yeah, a crazy I'm on email instagram list. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm on instagram uh, you can follow me there that's more fun you know you can follow my 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 limited outdoor adventures that i don't have as much time for as i wish uh there uh you can see more of my personal life and then if you want to see more of my political hot takes you can go to twitter <laughs> Uh, and then you can catch me on Fox almost every day uh, on a show here or there and uh, catch me in the terminal list. Got a cameo there. I won't tell you which episode it is, but you'll have to watch the whole series to find out. Um, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Yeah, I saw one of your hot takes and about on this the, podcast. Uh, yeah, in this podcast. Uh, I saw one of your yeah. hot takes about the dry shampoo and I started laughing. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah. I was like, uh, well, this I'm going to die tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been nice knowing you. <laughs> Well, Katie, yeah, nice thank you so much for joining us. Uh, like I said, yeah, it was really awesome bumping into you at Gunsight. And, uh, you know, even though I'm moving across country, I may be back there for the alumni shoot next year. Um, how did you, how did you shoot by the way? Like, were you happy with the way that you shot? Or? Uh, okay. I, I, my score does not reflect how I felt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, I did really well, except for one stage and totally screwed myself. Like it was like one, I did really well, except for one. And I just screwed myself. So um, I, I thought I did, you know, five out of six, how many, how many did we have? Seven, six, six, six stages. Yeah. It was something I like did that. well out of like five of six. So not too bad. Yeah. But, uh, and hats off to yeah. the guy who won the Cooper's cup. He did everything from concealment, which blows my mind. You know that I didn't even try. I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing I was like, I'm not doing it. I, I feel good about myself. I don't want to bring myself down today. I'm having a good day. I'm not going to end on Cooper's Cup. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they actually had to shut it down because they got that uh, torrential rain. Um, well, which... that's so funny because, you know, I texted you. I was like, oh, I see the you're the only person here with a, a rain jacket. Of course, the survival guy brought a rain <laughs> yeah. jacket to the desert where it never rains. You know, yeah, you of know. course. That's, so, that's what I do. Um, exactly. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for being on and, uh, you know, I yeah, hope to see you around you. and you're welcome at any of our courses that we have on the East coast. And I'll, I'll set aside some room for you and the, the crazy family that you have with all your yeah, exciting stuff. Do. So yeah, keep up the good work and good luck with the move. Thank you so much. All right, yeah, guys, all right. this has been the field craft talk revival. Yeah. Talk to you soon. This has been the field craft revival podcast. Thank you so much for listening.